This is my comeback story. This is Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to The Comeback. We're back. Very excited to be here with you today with my good friend, Mark Stovall. Oh, yeah. From Clarksdale, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Been friends for right at 20 years. Mark is the chief operations officer for Oxford Treatment Center, and he has done amazing things in recovery, has an incredible story of God's grace, and that's why we're here today. We are here to share testimonies and to remind people that there is a God who is still in the business of saving lives, who loves people. So if you're a parent that's listening today, if you're someone who is struggling today, that there is nobody who is too far gone and that there's still hope for your life. Mark, if you would share your story with us. Thanks, Trey. So uh, I appreciate the opportunity, man. I always love to talk about the power of Jesus, right? And uh, there's no way to tell a story of, of overcoming addiction in a life without talking about the greatness of our Lord and Savior. So I just want to throw that out there first and foremost, Amen. that there's nobody more important. So, you know, it might be my story, but he wrote it. And so, uh, you know, as well as I do, born and raised in a small town in, in Mississippi called Clarksdale. Um, wonderful place back in the day where we grew up. And uh, I think we had all the right kind of love and support from our family. You know, God, God knows that my dad loved me dearly. And, uh, you know, he was a highway patrolman, taught me all about the law, you know, (laughs) and, uh, you know, my mom, every instance she could, uh, take me and grab me by my ear and drag me up into church. She did, you know, taught me about the Lord and taught me that he loved me. And, uh, never ever did I envision that my uh, purpose in life was going to be so dramatically altered from what I thought it was going to be, you know, and, and to what it is today. And it's just been a, it's been a miraculous ride. So, uh, my story is just, I guess, like everybody else's, you know, I could sit here and talk about all day, how making poor choices in my life, um, going with what I knew to be wrong uh, there's no other way to describe that, that I had that feeling on the inside that what I was about to do, um, it wasn't right. And I knew it. And, you know, and when you do actually, and I did partake in using some kind of chemical or substance, and it brings you to a place in your head that's all about pleasure to me, right? It's just a, it's just a flood of, of, chemicals that you'll never repeat again in your life. And, you know, I started a, I started a downward spiral. I didn't know I would be the person with the disease, right? This, this thing that we can prove today is really just, it's a disease of the mind in some sense. Um, not just bad people or people with low moral character. It happens to everybody, man. It's a universal principle that, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, how much money you are, what you have, how well you've been raised. It's not your family's fault. It's just something that that takes place. And for anybody listening, I want you to know that as a family member, you were never, ever um, armed to fight this disease alone. And so those feelings that you have of, of hopelessness that 
I, I just want to love them. I want to hold them. I want them to be my little baby again. You know, that, that, that's so normal that you want to do those things, but we need outside help and you need as a family outside help. Nobody could battle this disease that I had. Nobody could take me on head on. I was a incredible talker. Always have been, Yep. <laughs> you know, uh, I could just, you know, explain my way out of some of the worst situations. And uh, one thing that I did was I rode on the, um, how would you put it? I rode on the, the positive reputation that my family earned, not that I earned, Wow. you know, because people respected my dad, people loved my mom, you know, and so I rode that reputation and um, until it came time that I could no longer ride on their reputation, you know, and I was standing and choosing falsehood, empty promises, um, friends that didn't really care about me, but yet I'd fight for them every day. You know, I would fight to stay in that sickness and that disease because I had no fight to get out of it. And um, I can tell you from from my standpoint in those days um, of being so lost, I, you know, I would look up on occasion and have some just some moments of of where I was having some clear thinking, and I'd wonder where is everybody, who who reaches out to somebody like me, you know, who who cares about the lost soul? You would think that just you know it would just be a twinge of a thought, and I would think I wonder why nobody ever comes and looks for me, or where are my old friends, or where are the people that used to care about me? You know, my family was always around, but you know you just kind of shunned them off because they are who they are, right? And they did love me. And I, I remember a time when they scheduled this uh, wonderful intervention. Okay, so, you know, if you're going to do this wonderful intervention, it's always best to have somebody in the room that's a professional, right? Um, and so they all sat around in a circle. I was, I remember very vividly, you know, I would go home and I would be, although there, I was never there. And so I was on the computer and uh, I get a call from the other room and saying, Mark, can you come in here? And instantaneously my defense flag went up because that was odd. And so I walk into a room of a bunch of people who I today can say um, loved me more than I ever could love my own self. And they sat me down and, and they tried to make a difference in the life that I was living. And they presented me with you know, these, these, uh, stories of love. We feel that you're Mark, we know you're sick. We want to help you. You're making choices that aren't just good for you. And I just started on one side of the room and I worked my way all, all the way around the room until I just absolutely had verbally abused every person sitting in that room. Um, I think it's the only time in my life that I saw my dad tear up. Right. And I stormed out of the house, went out and got into this <laughs> my little car and uh, tried to spin out. But, of course, it didn't have enough power behind the engine to even roll the wheels over. But I tried, right? <laughs> I was mad, and I pulled out, and I got to the end of the driveway. Um, and got I'm sorry, got to the end of the street, and I stopped at the stop sign. And there was something in that moment that I could not fight off the fact that I know that every person in that room loved me. And love is like a flaming dart. I mean, that, that love penetrates places 
that you've concreted off that nobody could get to. Because it's very hard to believe that people love you in a way like they loved me that day that, that couldn't move me in some way. And I always call those moments where the Lord just gave me some that real sprinkle of, of a divine grace and clarity and opened my mind to see what was really a, a true, real-life vision of what was going on. And I remember I hit that stop sign down there, not physically hit it, but when I got there and I stopped, I started to cry, and I could not stop myself. Wow. The, the flood of emotion that was pouring out of me. I mean, you're talking about a guy I've been abusing drugs for 15 years or so at this time. Um, a guy who I knew how to instantaneously change the way I felt, so that's what I was going to do. And um, it was a night when I had lots of drugs. And I went to a place, and I started to use those drugs, and I could not cover it. I just, I think the Lord wouldn't let me. Wow. Um, I just couldn't stop the way I felt. I kept thinking about them in that house. I thought about, you know, the things that I had said to them and that they were offering me um, something beautiful. And what did I give them back but misery and pain? And so I don't think that they realized that it was a turning point for me. It was uh, really uh, a preemptive strike uh, into my soul um, because, you know, I, I, I hadn't had that. Nobody's reached out to me like that, you know. Everybody just let me do my thing, you know, because I think that's what most people say is, well, we don't want folks like that around our kids or we don't want people like him at our place of business. And I think that that's kind of the uh, general nomenclature that people use to describe a drug addict, right, because that's exactly what I was. Hooked, hook, line, and sinker, brother. Couldn't pull out. And so I can remember very vividly about two weeks later um, being at my house and, um, you know, still married at this time to um, somebody who didn't deserve to have a husband like me. And uh, I had my first son. And I was sitting in that house and I was just miserable and depressed. I mean, from that moment of that intervention type thing that happened I just couldn't beat it man I just kept feeling something's better there's something better and it was a moment that um I turned to God man I'm telling you I was sitting in the back bedroom at my home and I just opened the back door I looked out into the sky and I remember saying a very simple prayer you know it's like you know, God, I don't know how you can love somebody like me. You know, because I just, the overwhelming shame of the human being that I had become was, it was just absolutely just penetrated every one of my pores. And um, I didn't want to live. And I asked him, I said, I've become a man and I don't know how to not be this man. And I need your help. Now, wow. you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. I would love to say that a band of angels came and fire shot out of the floor and 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 Jesus healed me in that moment. That's not necessarily what happened, but I had an immense peace that came over me. And I know for a fact that that was just as valuable for me as all those other things. And um, from that moment, my life started to change. Did I stop using drugs? No, I didn't. Did I start to face the consequences of my use in a different way. 
in a routine traffic stop two weeks later. The Coma County Sheriff's deputy pulls us over. And I turned on every bit of that nice gift of gab that I had. And he handcuffed me, put me in the back of a police car, and I went to the Coma County Jail. And so um, I remember uh, having a moment to call my dad. And it uh, wasn't like any one of my friends were going to come get me, right? So I picked the telephone up. I called my dad, and i never forget his words to me. He said, son, I love you. I told you if you went to jail, you were on your own. Click. And that's what happened. And so I was sitting in jail, wondering how I ended up there. And, uh, and they, they, uh, they were pretty crowded, and it was pretty packed, and they put me in this room. Um, and, uh, you know, you got the little metal slab that hangs off the wall. They call it a bed, but I don't, I don't know how I would really describe it. It's, and so I, I remember very—now, this is a hard thing to explain. You know, I, I don't know how to explain this in, in words. And, but I laid back on that, that thing, and I was by myself in the, in the room— and I looked up above me, and taped above me was the Lord's Prayer. And I just started to read it. Somebody had taped it up there a long time ago. It looked old, and it was tattered. And uh, I started to read that Lord's Prayer. And as sure as I'm sitting here, um, the only thing that I can describe to you is that whether it was a vision or a dream or what it was, but it was almost... I, it was like I'm standing next to myself in that room praying to the Lord to change me. And I knew that what was happening was a result of that prayer. It was like the Lord himself said that he was doing this for me. And from the top of my head to the bottom of my toes felt like if I was anything, I was bathed in the spirit of God at that moment. It was like flame, man but didn't hurt. And so here you are, you're talking about a guy that for, I don't know how many years, just strung out on all of these hardcore drugs and I fell asleep like a baby. Now that shouldn't happen that night, but I did. And it was a hard, long road, man, but I knew the Lord was behind me and it was hard. I mean, you know, this, this thing that they called addiction, uh, I think a wonderful gift from the devil himself, but this thing called addiction, is, it's very hard because you're battling something that you, you, you have no weapon against without the Lord. Man, I'm battling my own brain because what does it do? It tells me it's going to be fun. We're going to have a party. It's all right. You've been clean this long. No need to worry about it. you got control. And that's, that's the whole lies that you always have control, right? And so I came out and uh, got out of jail and, um, you know, you step out of that place a different person. I stepped out not only a different person because I knew the Lord had answered a prayer for me and was, was in the beginning answering that prayer, but I also it changed the very essence of who I was in my life because you know what it is. What happens when you go to jail? Hey, man, there's Snooper, super snitch, right? You know, all those good buddies of yours, they don't even want to talk to you no more because you've gone in and, you, you know, it's <laughs> that whole drug culture. You ratted them out, right? which I hadn't, you know, I was scared to death. I didn't want to say anything about anything about anybody, right? But it was the way that it is. And so about two weeks into this thing, um, I'm sitting 
at my house and uh, one of my old buddies came over and when he came over I was very excited to see him because man I was miserable and lonely and um, broken and hurt and so he came over and said look man let's just go you want to go for a ride you know tour around we can go around the town and um, I got in the car with him and we started to drive around and it was fun, man. Had the music cranked up, the windows down. I started to feel like a human being again. You know, I knew that, that he wanted what was good for me. And I share this often because I want people to understand that he was from a place that he didn't understand who I was becoming. And I was in no place whatsoever to be able to influence him. And so he pulls up at the store and says, what you want to drink? And, you know, I'm like, what? You know, and I, he goes, no, dude, a Gatorade. You want a Gatorade? I'm going to get you a Gatorade. So he goes inside, and I'm sitting out in the car, and uh, I'm doing what everybody normally does. Is I'm just I'm, I'm there, and I just reach between the seat, and I opened it up, and it's full of drugs. And uh, scared me to death. You know, what person's going to believe that I wasn't using those drugs, right? Like, I didn't know they were here. Yeah, sure, Mark. Two weeks ago, you were in jail for this, right? So he, I, I made him take me home, and it, it, it showed me something. You know, we always talk about changing people, places, and things. It's not necessarily that they're bad people. They have the same disease I do. But he had no understanding of how to help me. I needed help that he couldn't understand at that moment because he hadn't had that change happening in his life yet. And so I realized, you know, I got to do something completely different. That's the first time I went to treatment, you know, is, is during that time. And again, it was a struggle, always a struggle. And the Lord just, I mean, on a consistent basis, blessed me. I could, tell, I could share times with you. I'll give you, for instance, you know, I'm working. I couldn't hardly find a job. Nobody wanted to hire me, right? You know, college educated, had jobs my whole life and I couldn't nobody wanted to hire this old drug addict right so I am uh I go to work for uh a guy in a garden center and I was planting flowers in folks yard right you know and um it was a real humbling experience for me not because of the nature of the work but you know like some of these houses I sold those houses you know to people and so I was a, a man of much pride, even when I shouldn't have had all that pride. And, and uh, so here I am, digging in the mud in people's front yards. And uh, I remember a person from Clarksdale Baptist Church came by, pulls up out front, a um, guy named Johnny, and gets out his car. And I'm looking over at him, you know, I don't know what anybody's going I didn't know why he was walking up there. And I remember Johnny came up and he shook my hand. And uh, he had heard, of course, they ran it on the front page of the paper. So he heard about all the stuff. Mm. And um, and I just told him, I said, man, it's hard, Johnny. And, and basically he communicated that um, – sorry. <coughs> I don't even know if he knows what he meant to be that day. Because, you know, he, he described his last name. He said, you know who I am? And, and what people believe and, uh, about me. And um, he said, 
Jesus loves you, Mark, regardless. And it's a very powerful experience. Um, on the outside, you would never have known it moved me like that, right? But his act of kindness, um, I don't know. I mean, I can't explain it. It was just an act of kindness. It was hard because I knew there was no benefit whatsoever in my mind for him to stop because he stopped specifically because he saw me and made an effort to communicate the love of Jesus in my life. Strong. Yeah. So beautiful times. I finally I get a job again working at the Backyard Burger, brother. You know, <laughs> man, I mean, me and BYB, we got a long relationship together, as you can tell by this stomach. Uh, and, you know, working there and the, the wonderful things that people did for me, the... Um, the owner of that place did some really special and beautiful things in my life to help me during that time that I'm eternally grateful for. But I'm working there, and this little lady keeps coming into the front door, and I'm like, you know, she's very sweet and kind, and um, she eats by herself most every day, and she would come in, and she would come in, and she would come in. And one day she walks up and says, would you um, mind eating lunch with me? And I'm thinking, um, lunch is a pretty busy time in here, but I'm seeing this lady. And, uh, I said, I certainly would love to eat with you thinking that, you know, maybe she was lonely, right? Maybe she just, you know, was, was wanting somebody to sit with her. So I took a quick break and I went out there and sat down with her and, um, she goes, I know you don't know me, but now my name is Betty Street. And I run an alcohol and drug treatment center for young people. And I've been watching you for quite some time up in here. And she goes, I've been praying about it. And I just believe that you're supposed to be working for me. How would you like to have a job working for me at this treatment center? Now, I mean, how often do things like that ever happen? Wow. Come on. Um, and I just, I mean, I couldn't believe it. So, of course, you know what I mean? I took the job, you know my history, and I start working for this organization, you know, doing intakes and screens on young people, and uh, very quickly worked my way up to being the director of the organization, a little place called Sunflower Landing, you know, doing some some work, loving on some young kids, man, and it was a, it was a monumental time of my life. I mean, just, uh, I literally, people just thought I was the biggest goober because I would be driving around and I would be smiling all the time. I mean, they used to make fun of me all the time. Like, dude, you are like riding around smiling at nothing. I say, oh yeah, I'm smiling at something, my friend. Um, you know, I can tell you all about that. <laughs> so, you know, at some point in time, I had to stand in front of a judge, right? Because I'd done some wrong. And uh, that day came, my faith was incredibly strong. I, I knew the Lord no matter what happened, was taking care of this poor old fool sinner. And um, I'm sitting up at the courthouse, and as I'm standing, you know, it's been a year or more since I'd been, you know, it took a long time to go to trial. And the guy in front of me who had the exact same charges that I did, um, they sent him to Parchman, Mississippi. Now, 
Let me tell you about that faith quaking for just one second. Because for one second, I looked over at that window and I thought, I bet I can fit through that thing and I need to get out of here. <laughs> right? And then I think the Lord just strengthened me a little bit more. And because I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, I wasn't going to get up there. I wasn't gonna, definitely wasn't going to do what he did, you know. And I stood up and uh, they called me and I'm standing in front of the judge and the judge says, um, what do you got to say for yourself? Something along those lines. And I remember looking at him and I, I mean, I literally thought I was fixing to go to prison because that's what happened to the last guy, right? And I said, well, judge, I said, I got to be honest with you. I said, pretty much everything that you've got written right there in front of you, I did every bit of that, every bit of it. I said, I got, I said, I can't sit up here and lie. And, you know, those are kind of, it just, that's how the conversation went. And as I'm talking to this judge, I noticed the countenance on his face changed. I didn't really understand that at the time, but I noticed something he softened for some reason. And I said, uh, I said, I've really been working hard at being a different man. And I started telling what that meant, you know. I had talked at one of the local high schools to some kids, you know. Again, understanding I had no belief whatsoever that I wasn't going to the penitentiary. I wasn't trying to plead my case out to him. I just knew that I was going, you know. And he listened to everything I had to say. And um, I told him that I'd gotten a little over, I can't remember how long in recovery I had, and he stopped me, and he said, Mr. Stovall, I had every intent today to send you to Parchman, Mississippi. And he says, but I've had to change your heart, and I'm going to give you one opportunity to do the right thing. And I remember he looked over at my probation officer, who I call the meanest lady in the entire world, who I love dearly, but she's the meanest lady in the entire world. And because she never gave in to me whatsoever. And he looked at her and he said, if he gets so much as a parking ticket, I want him sent to parchment. And, you know, that's a gift for me, brother. I mean, so I ended up having probation. And I did all the things, man, all the things I was supposed to do. I was the dude that set his cruise control on 30. <laughs> I remember this. People could not stand me in that town. They would pass me and be yelling and screaming and doing the things that people do when somebody's going so slow because they all thought it was some little old person. It was me, and I'd wave at them. <laughs> you know, don't let it be said that we can't learn something new, right? And, you know, these are these are just beautiful things that, that happened. I mean, I got um, an, another incredible opportunity to move ahead in my career through just something I was doing. I had a woman who uh, was at a training that I was doing, first training I ever did in my life, right? And so this lady was here and she kept calling me. And what does she tell me? But again, she said, well, dude, I'd like you to take this job. And I'm like, I'm really not interested, man, because I loved working with those kids. And she says, Mark, she goes, I literally was on my knees praying last night and you the guy. And I'm like, Oh, they got to quit doing this to me. They got to quit doing this to me. And I said, well, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not interested, right? And I said, but I'll pray about it. And let me tell you, if you don't do what the Lord tells you to do, you get no peace. If that peace is not there for me. That's just my story. And I got on my knees and I prayed about it. And let me tell you my prayer. Hey, Lord, I love it here at Sunflower Land and I don't want to do nothing else. 
Um, if you can just make her go away, that'd be great. And uh, <laughs> that ain't the answer I got. And I mean, it was it was beyond overwhelming that I knew it was my time to move on, and I did not want to. I fought it. I fought it very hard. And you know, lo and behold, man. I mean, this whole time I'm doing I'm doing a a, a Bible study for the uh, guys in drug court, you know. And it started out with four of us doing it, and everybody backed out, and it was me. And, you know, I thought we would probably get two or three guys, and it was 23 people showing up on a consistent basis. And, you know, part of that movement is I had to give up something that I thought was a beautiful thing. And and so it was really hard to say, why, Lord? I mean, you know, you just do what he says, right? You just do what he says. And I just didn't want to give all that up, and it was a beautiful time in my life. And I thank the Lord Jesus every day for what I got to do. And I go to this another this next job and 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 it's it's horrible <laughs> let me just say it's horrible man i mean place people are angry at each other and it was a lot of things that had to be corrected and people were mad and um you know so i get to this job and i'm thinking this lord is where you brought me to this is what you want me to do and uh about eight months of of a lot of prayer, you know, really working on trying to bring people together because that's what I do. Because people ought to love each other. You know, we all have our differences, but we can love each other through our differences. And uh, I get a phone call and I get the job of my dreams, man. And it got, there was a job offer that came in. And um, it brought me to a whole new place, man. I moved out of a place called Cleveland, Mississippi to our state capital in Jackson, Mississippi. And I was going to go to work for the Department of Mental Health as the adolescent services coordinator for the entire state. It was a beautiful gift. And uh, I go down there, go to rent an apartment, and um, literally, I, I nobody will rent me an apartment, you know. And uh, I'm, I just can't understand why. And I keep asking, you know, I finally called this one lady, and I said, you know, I got, you know, I've worked hard. I got great credit. I got the financial stability and um, she wouldn't tell me why she wouldn't rent to me. And I finally got her to say it. And she says, look, we can't rent to you because you're a convicted felon. And um, it was a very heart-wrenching uh, moment that almost deflated all of my sales, man. I mean, it was like, you know, I really thought that what I was doing here, you know, I mean, I had a, I had a moment of doubt, man. Like, I've, I've chose the wrong thing. This is not what I was supposed to do. And um, I was sharing even with Trey last night over dinner that that my boss at that very time, I called her and I said, hey, I, I'm not going to be able to do this. I said, nobody will even rent me a place to live. And she said, man, just hush your mouth. I got a whole house sitting over there empty in Madison, Mississippi. You can live there until it sells. And just, just that's the kind of things, man. When times for me, when the Lord shows up, there is no other explanation whatsoever why the people would do what they were doing. It had to be the Lord Jesus, man, because he moves people in ways. It's been my experience. He moves people in ways to when there's no way that can be seen. I mean, who would have thought that? I mean, really, I just, just, you know, and that's been the story of my life, man. God shows up in such beautiful ways and big ways. 
and I'm working down there and I've been working, I start moving up in the company and, uh, you know, it was, it's just, it was a beautiful time. I'm making new friends and, uh, I, you know, long story short. And, uh, one day I'm in the bedroom and I start feeling very ill. Mm. And, uh, you know, I said, man, that Mexican food got me. <laughs> I said, I got some food poisoning. And for an entire hour, I was so sick. Man, I was so sick, like laying on the floor sick. And, um, and I had no idea that that whole entire time I was having a heart attack. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from a moment if I stepped back two weeks to where I lost the place where I was living at and I was having to stay in a back bedroom of somebody's house who just so happened to be a nurse who just so happened to look at me and say, we're going to call an ambulance or we're going to take you to the hospital right now, you know, cause I know that if I would have been in that old place where I was staying at, I'd have died. Yeah. Cause I would have never called an ambulance. Right. I just wouldn't have done that. And, you know, again, I see, you know, through the chaos and the misunderstanding that goes through my brain, um, it's always revealed later that it was for a greater purpose. And so I survived a, a, a horrible heart attack that, I mean, the doctors said I was a miracle, you know, and, uh, and I told them, yes, I am. I'm a miracle. But, you know, I, I can tell you that when I was laying on the table, um, the gurney, and I was in the emergency room, and I could tell that everybody was, I could tell it was bad, right? And because I watched the nurse tear the EKG off and went running out of the room, like full speed. And um, I'm hurting so bad that there's no way to describe the pain. And it was the first time I thought, this isn't just very well, maybe the last breath I take on this earth, right? And, you know, faced with your immortality, it really makes you consider what's important in your life. And, um, you know, I wasn't thinking about the job. I wasn't thinking about car. I wasn't thinking about my house. I wasn't thinking about anything, really. I wasn't thinking about nothing, you know, where I was living. You know, anything that's been done wrong to me, everything, anything that's been done right to me. In that moment, the only thought in my, my brain was Jesus did I love your people like you wanted me to? Man, it was overwhelming to think. I'm a pretty nice dude. I love folks, man. You know, I'll be hugging folks and loving on them. But I can tell you in that moment, I felt great shame that I wasn't loving God's people like he wanted me to. And, you know, I asked him for more time. You know, I didn't know if I was going to get it, but... I was completely comfortable with the fact that I was, I was saved by Jesus Christ. And I knew that what was on the other side was much greater than I could ever understand. And my second thought was I would really like to just um, touch my son one more time. So here I am dating... You know, this this young lady, you know, uh, my first wife had left me a long time back. And I'm dating this young lady, and and uh, I'm having this heart attack. And, you know, she's she's much prettier and younger than I am. Got no idea what she saw in me, but um, 
and I basically am in the intensive cardiac care unit at St. Dominic's Hospital. And uh, I look at her, and I think to myself, you got to let her go, right? And I said, I need you to take a long, hard look at me. And I said, because this is the reality of the life that I have. And I said, you're young, and you got so much to live for. And I feel like I'd be a burden to you. And I want you to know that I would like you to move on. And I like to say she's country as cornbread, right? She goes, baby, I don't even know what you're talking about. I love you and I ain't going nowhere. And I mean, in that that moment, I said, I'm marrying this girl right here, right? You know, because if you're at your very bottom and they still love you, that's a pretty good sign, right? And it was hard, man. I'm a hard-headed patient. Me and my doctor, we quite often, you know, thought about how bad off I was. I shared a story with Trey last night of, you know, he finally said, okay, Mark, because I couldn't understand while I was in ICU because I was awake. Everybody else in there was out. If they hit the button, they knew to come immediately to me because I was the only one that could push the button in there. And so uh, he said, Mark, you're driving me crazy. He said, I want you to get up out of the bed right now and I want you to walk to the door. And I said, I, I will. <laughs> and I stood up and I took two steps and I, I, I went to my knees, man. I, I didn't know how bad it was, man. I didn't know because when you're laying there still, you don't know. But I was laying there and, and he said, now get up and get back in the bed and listen to what I have to say. And he explained to me that the, the damage to my heart um, made me legally disabled. And, um, and we didn't know, you know, he didn't know what the future was going to look like. And, and I said, okay, I get you had to tell me all that. I said, so here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm 37 years old. I said, I got to get back to work. So you tell me how I can do that. And he says, good, that's what I wanted to hear. And, you know, he made me no guarantees, but, you know, of course you can see that, you know, I struggled, man. It took me a month to walk around the block. You know, it was a, it was a tough, tough ordeal for me, but I just couldn't wait to get back and plugged into life. And, you know, and I did propose to that young lady and uh, her name's Jessica and love her dearly. And she's loved me. And, you know, I think we've wanted to push each other off of a mountain every once in a while, (laughs) you know, she's given me some beautiful children uh, that, you know, she's had to do a whole lot of convincing that I needed. Uh, and uh, they've been an absolute joy in my life. So, I mean, who could who could say at all that the Lord doesn't take what the devil meant for evil, right? And he turns it into good. Yeah. Right? I mean, right. how many lives are touched by folks like you and me and and other people from a standpoint of true and genuine love in Jesus. And you're, you're reaching out that hand, you know, be the feet and hands of Christ in this world, in a world that wants to do away with people like us, that, that really wishes that we would just go away. And, you know, if all of y'all would just go away, this world would be a better place. And, and, and watching how Jesus just steps into a life and completely transforms a life to where all the things that you thought were the very essence of what you were living for now disgust me. 
I can't imagine myself doing those things. I can't imagine being that kind of liar. I can't imagine playing those manipulation games. I can't imagine, you know, staying up for days at a time. Yeah. You know, can't imagine not being a responsible, productive human being. It just, I can't imagine what, the, I mean, and, and even the temptation to step back there when my brain starts trying to play those tricks on me. Like, man, it was fun. You can do it one more time. And I think about what I have today. Please. Yeah. Please. It has no more, it, that control is not there anymore. That Those mind games don't work. And I, I believe that's all because of Jesus. Yeah. You know, he can, it, it, for, for anybody who doesn't think, I think that if on the day I said the prayer, if the great Lord Jesus wanted it to be the way that he wanted it to be, if he wanted to say, boom, you're healed, I could have been healed. Right? I needed to walk through what I needed to walk through. It was my path. You know, I think people do get healed in that way. I see people who have to walk the same path I do and be hard-headed and jump off a bridge and then realize I probably shouldn't have done that. You know, let me get back up and get back up here again. You know, I, 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 I don't like that piece of me that's real, that sometimes my faith gets quaked because of something merely happening in the world. You know, like when you see the state of this, you know, there's people that tend to want to bring you down all the time, and I won't say much more about that, but, yeah. you know... I can look into their life and say, man, they would benefit from Jesus too, right? So let me just share that with them. And boy, you'll run them off quick when you start talking about Jesus. <laughs> That's yeah. right. I mean, I had, a, I had an old friend that came up to me one time when I was in Clarksdale and uh, swore up and down that ain't no way I'd changed, right? And he had some dope on him. And I said, before we do that, man, you know, I said, I want to tell you a little bit about Jesus. And I reached over, I got my Bible, and I opened it up. Man, he ran. <laughs> ran off. Because it's an absolute, you know, like, <laughs> that's a convincing thing for them, right? You know, I really wanted to share the word with him. I was a little disappointed. But, yeah. You know, or, or, or take take them out to eat. Because I know that, that we've lost many friends, right? Yeah. Yeah, we've buried a lot of people. And, um, you know, I don't wish, and I know the Lord doesn't wish that anybody die caught up in this thing. And, um, you know, there's never a time when I feel like I'm just too busy to help another human being, you know, because if I can go back and I look at my life and see just the eminence of God's grace poured out on me. I remember the time I think we talk about using dreams. I remember the time when I had a dream that everybody was using around me and I snuck to the bathroom and I was sneaking out the window. And I said, see, man, even Jesus didn't change my dreams. Boy. <laughs> even they're great. That's it's, so yeah. And, yeah. What, what, what can you say? Um, I had my pastor one time sitting in a class, uh, Brother Ed, and he says, how many people in here have ever read the whole Bible? I never thought about that before, right? I couldn't raise my hand, okay? So um, I said, okay, I'm going to read the whole Bible. I'm going to do that. So <laughs> I get in there. I start reading, you know, Genesis, and that's a pretty, pretty good book, right? You can read through that. You get up into some of those other ones, and I'm like, uh, <laughs> Lord. Um, and I remember getting on my knees and, and saying, Father, I need you to, to ignite in me a desire for your word that cannot be quenched without reading it. And can I tell you that I think God hears prayers like that those those things he literally set me on fire for his word. I couldn't put it down. I mean, just could not put it down. Every second I wanted to be in his word and read it and be nourished by it. And you know, I think it's important 
that we have the spirit to translate it for us, right? You know, you have the spirit and the word because I think some people can read that and have no, and it will have no influence. But man, it was amazing, man. And I can't tell you how many times I read through it. And I told you the other day, uh, doing it, doing a 90 day reading, right? So I'm trying to get through it 90 days, probably be about 120, but uh, I'm trying to do a 90 day (laughs) reading. Jesus loves me anyway, I know. (laughs) Because the Bible tells me so. So, you know, I mean, I could talk all day, you know, I just, I, I just, I don't want anybody who may just hear this podcast feel like you're all alone in this world and there's no hope because that is the lie of the devil. Yeah. You hear me? And that there are people that God has raised up in this world to be conquerors over this disease, to be conquerors over what the devil has meant for evil and will most definitely reach out and pull you out of that hole that you're stuck in. And all you got to do is be ready to receive it, man. And it's just, uh, I see people put in my life all the time that just sometimes a, a smile. I, people have shared vividly with me that having someone say hello, how is your day going, changed the idea that they were going to commit and kill themselves, commit suicide. And um, how simple is that? Yeah. You know, bring joy. Bring joy to people. It's it's such a it's such a beautiful thing to to be a reflection of Christ in this world, even though the world doesn't understand it. Most of them don't. But the beauty of that reflection of His light in the darkness is it's 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 so tremendously overwhelming to your spirit when you see a person come in here and every other word out of their mouth is a cuss word, and you know that's just how they communicate and. You just see the change. I mean, it's tangible. It's You can touch it. And to me, more than a gift for them, it's a gift for me, you know? It's like, see my mighty hand at work, Mark. Yeah. You know, see my mighty works. And you get it. You see it on a daily basis. I see it in the guys you got in your, your treatment center right now. It's just, it's so tangible to watch that change take place. And then, you know, I've had people who've called me 12 years after being, 12 years beyond the point of treatment, calling to tell me how well they're doing, you know? Strong. Yeah. So it's, good. It's beautiful stuff. That is it, man. I mean, I have enjoyed this episode so much. And um, as we're talking, my wife is texting me about my son's baseball practice, and I better hurry up. <laughs> But y'all, y'all just heard from Mark Stovall. I don't know anybody that loves people like he does. You know, he mentioned something early on about, you know, riding around and just smiling at nothing. And and I remember when I attempted to get clean 20 years ago, and I would get frustrated at how much joy he had. And it was just and, – and still to see him walking that out now – and the amount of people's lives that he's impacted in a positive way for Jesus and just loved on people. And just even the other day as I was, um, you know, he was here during our all staff and and just came to, to encourage us and to take a look at our program. And I'm reading his, you know, if you read his bio and everything that he's accomplished in the realm of addiction from a clinical perspective, the platforms that he's been on, the way that God has just used him just in, in profound ways that you would just think that, you know, he's just someone that that only appears on the platform. But even now with all that and the initials and the titles and everything that he's done, 
he will still stop for the one. And he's going to love on that person. And just, just now, just in this, in this little studio right now, as he shares his testimony, his heart's still so alive in Christ, tears streaming down his face as he recounts the love of Jesus. And uh, there's just so much more. There's so much more that we could get into. There's so much more that he could expound on in his story. I mean, he hadn't heard from the clinical pers- perspective yet, so I know that we're going to have him back on here soon, hopefully. Just a short 55-minute flight. Part two. Part two. (laughs) Many parts. So we love you guys and bless you. I hope that you were encouraged today, and we will see you guys next week. Yes, thank you. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call. It's 770-570-7422.